Praise God. Let's give Jesus a shout in the house this morning. Worthy of our praise. And uh, give somebody a high five and tell them that you're so glad that you're here this morning. You could be anywhere else, but you're in the house of God. In fact, you're doing something. Say, I'm doing something. So you could be doing nothing, right? And nothing actually is 100%, it's, it's 100% easier to do nothing than something. So you're doing something. Kids, they like doing something. They don't like doing nothing. You know, kids, when, when you like, you know, you ask them what they did, they're like, nothing. But parents, on the other hand, very different. It's like, when you ask a parent what they did on the weekend, and it was nothing, they go, nothing, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> woohoo, nothing. All the parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Obviously, Dave and Brianna, not quite sure yet, but you will get there. So you're here, you're doing something, you're in the house of God, this is the best place that you can be on the weekend. When somebody asks you on Monday, where'd you get up on the weekend? You can say, well, I did something, I was in the house of God. Absolutely incredible. We're going to turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. The title of my message is, I thought it was going to be up there, but it's not. In the midnight hour. Everybody say, in the midnight hour. Not the Billy Idol song, in the midnight hour. It's a different, in the mind, it's the biblical version of in the midnight hour. Acts 16, chapter, verse 16. says, now it happened as we went to prayer. I love that. I was just kind of reading over my uh, text this morning. I was like, man, things happen when you go to prayer. When was the last time that you actually went to prayer? Come on, somebody. Things happen when you go to prayer. A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She did this for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said, the spirit, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. And the spirit came out that very hour. When the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And what happens is there's a, there's a bit of a trial in the marketplace and they end up putting Paul and Silas in prison. Let's jump down. Um, to verse 23, it says, When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison. The inner prison is where the worst of the worst criminals are. So they just didn't go into some nice holding cell. They went into the depths of prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25, everybody say, but. But. I like the buts of God. Because, you know, they're facing a pretty difficult circumstance. It's pretty dark. They're in prison. There doesn't seem any way out. They're in stocks. They're in, they're in chains. Their feet are in chains. They're with the worst of the worst. But I love this. It says, but at midnight. Notice it doesn't say, but at the daylight hour. But at midnight, when they were at their worst moment, when it seemed that things were at its darkest kind of situation but at midnight everybody say but at midnight or everybody say in the midnight hour Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, was about to kill himself. Paul calls out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved, you and your household. This is a powerful story for many reasons. One, because at their darkest moment, in the darkest hour, it says that they were complaining, that they were whining, that they were whinging, that they were in doubt, that they were in fear, that they were unbelief. Come on, somebody, what does it say? They were praying and praising. I don't know about you, if I'm, in, if I'm in a prison, I don't know what the worst prison in America is right now, but if I'm in one of those supermax prisons and with the worst of the worst of the criminals, I don't know if I'm going to be praising somebody. But here they are, praying and praising in the middle of a difficult situation in the midnight hour, in the darkest moment when they could have been whining, when they could have been yelling at God, why have you forsaken? Why has my life turned out this way? They are praising and praying to God. And the remarkable thing about this, all the prisoners are listening. Think about this. The jailer is about to come. Listen, if I'm praying and praising and then all of the, of the jail cells open, I'm not hanging around people. I'm not hanging around to see what the bald-headed guy with the tattoos who's only got two teeth is going to do. I'm out of there, people. I'm praising God all the way back to San Diego. Woohoo! Thank you, God, for my miracle. They remained. The incredible things is that they had such impact on the other prisoners there because it said all of the jail cells opened. It says, he cries out and said, we're all here. In other words, nobody left. What they had done had had such influence and power. The power of praise brought them freedom and brought the jailer who was keeping them bound up complete freedom. He got saved, him and his family, and they end up getting out of jail by not running away, by facing their accusers and then getting out the right way. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we try and escape our trial. We try and get out of our trial. You know, we're wondering sometimes, you know, we're turning to God because our foundations are shaking. It's God who is the one who's doing the shaking people. Don't run from your trial. Don't get out of your trial. In the midnight hour, it's time to pray and praise and see God do a miracle. Amen. So, you know, so, so here we go. The question is really, what do we do in our midnight hour? What do we do? Really, when it comes down to it, think of your darkest, deepest fears, moments, trials that you've been through. And what has our response been? And the, the amazing thing is that it's always darkest before dawn. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's always darkest before the dawn. That means that at the time when it's darkest is the moment when you're closest to your breakthrough. That's the time to hang in there. Because, because in the midnight hour is when you find out who you are and who your God is. It's not time to leave because the miracle is just around the corner. It's time to stand and see the deliverance of God in your life. Now, I want to I wanna kind of uh, jump into this because Paul, who went through the situation in Acts, wrote some great keys later in the book of Philippians. And I want to jump into those, but I quickly want to tell you that there are, there are different kinds of trials because these guys were going through trials for righteousness sake. 
there are some people who go through, <laughs> through trials, uh, I was going to call it for stupidity's sake, but really I'll call it self-inflicted trials, okay? And uh, in other words, there's stuff that I think we blame God or we blame the devil for, we really should be placing the blame right here. Okay, and I was on Facebook the other day and I have a friend on there who uh, I grew up with and lived over the street and we've recently connected on Facebook, haven't seen him for like 30 years or something. And so, you know, but he's, he's, he's an atheist and he posted a photo and there's like a child in poverty in one of these third world countries and, and he's replying, I guess, to a question of somebody who said, God loves you. And he says, God loves me. Have you seen this place? And I took a little bit, it kind of like tweaked something in me and, and I didn't want to start one of those public Facebook wars or battles. We've all seen those, right? So I just very gently and softly kind of replied, you know, you know, my opinion was that I didn't feel that it was God's fault that this person was in this mess. And he kind of replied saying, well, you know, what, what's God doing if God's real, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, I asked him a question. I said, if you beat your child, would it be fair to say, that that's God's fault? Or is that your fault? Because very easy to say it's God's fault because then we don't have to take responsibility. Oh, that person just killed 20 people? God, that's your fault. No, let's take responsibility. If you beat your child, you beat your child. You made the choice. God didn't force your hand. You take responsibility. And so I took a little bit, you know, I, he didn't reply back, you know, I'm not sure if he felt convicted or he just kind of didn't want to reply or didn't have anything to reply but here's the thing we have to take responsibility stop blaming God stop blaming God for things that you've chosen to do you know uh, I shared uh, at the uh, empower conference who was at the empower conference fantastic I shared at the empower conference and I shared about the scripture about God opening the windows of heaven blessing you you know with no you won't have enough room to contain it and he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake and I and I posed this question well 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 for, for many people what happens is if you're the devourer I mean what if you're the devourer of your finances what if the devil has nothing to do with it I mean if you're spending more money than you earn using credit cards that to buy stuff that you can't pay for you're the devourer how is God going to buke the devourer over your finances if you're the devourer? We're blaming the devil for all this stuff. Oh God, you know, financial. But you're the devourer. You've been devouring your finances. Don't look at your wife. <laughs> Don't do it. You will be in the jailhouse. It'll be the midnight hour for you when you get home. Men, don't look at your wife. She's not the devourer. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame God. Take responsibility. Bring it to God. His mercy is new every morning. Okay? You don't have to keep wearing that. Just walk through it. Admit your faults. Go to God. Get things right. Then there's, then there's uh, uh, adversity and trials for unrighteousness sake, a life of sin or disobedience. Jonah, for instance, stuck in the belly of the whale. We won't go into that. And then, of course, the righteous uh, living, just like Paul and Silas, you know, uh, had to go through. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Just raise your hand if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Okay, not everybody did that because they heard the other will suffer persecution. There's like people in here, I was like, I was going to become a Christian, but I heard that will suffer persecution thing. I'm not so sure now. Will suffer persecution. Psalm 34 verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Who's a righteous person in here? It says many are the afflictions of the righteous. We don't like those Bible passages. We don't get up and go, praise God, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But 
You know, the Lord delivers you out of them all. You can expect deliverance from your trials. 1 Peter 4 verse 12, I love this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I think sometimes we are surprised or confused and we're like, oh my gosh, I don't understand why this trial. The Bible saying, hey, don't think it's strange. This is a normal part of your Christian experience. Paul and Silas weren't thinking, they're going, God, this is strange. We were just doing the right thing. Now we're in jail. No, they were praying and praising God because they understood the many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. 1 Peter 4 verse 19. I'm going to give you a ton of scripture this morning. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing God as to a faithful creator. There is suffering sometimes when we do the will of God. Sometimes it's not easy to do the right thing. But that doesn't mean that we don't still do the right thing regardless of what it may cost us. Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. That means that God is always working something together for good. And you know, you know, uh, I know sometimes when you're going through the trial, it's the last thing you kind of need to hear. You just need somebody to wallow in your self-pity with you. You know, you hear those people and it's like, well, brother, when God cl- closes one door, He'll open another. Who's heard that before? Next time somebody says that to you, says, yes, that's true, but it sure can be hell in the hallway while you're waiting. Because that's how you feel. You don't feel great in the middle of a trial. You don't feel like rejoicing. But the Bible says we don't live by feelings. We live by faith. We don't live on how our emotions teach us. We live on what the Word of God teaches us. Here's the deal. If the devil's bothering you, it's probably because you're bothering him. If you're not doing anything for God, you're probably not going to go through trials because you're not bothering the devil. That's a, that's a good thing, people. The devil's bothering you because you're bothering him. Just keep on bothering him. God is going to get you through it. God is going to get you through You don't get a testimony without a test. You don't get a crown without having something to to conquer. You cannot be an overcomer unless you have something to overcome. How can you be an overcomer unless you're overcoming? How can you wear your crown unless you have a kingdom that you're ruling and reigning in and you've got something to conquer? How can you get up here and testify of the goodness and the graciousness of God if you don't have a test? Where will you get your message from if there is not a mess that God can make a miracle out of? Get some perspective in your world of what God is wanting to do. In the midnight hour, you may feel like you're in prison, but guess what? God is going to bust you out with a miracle when you begin to see it from God's perspective. And here's the deal. The only thing, the only thing, listen, that can defeat you is yourself because you have authority over the devil. Look at these powerful, yeah, let me just, uh, before I share a couple of scriptures, let me just give a quick illustration of this. At the Empower Conference, I prayed for a lady. She had ulcers that were this big, this big. Someone's doing the, there, you can see my wife, that big, that's how big they were. She'd taken pain medication for three years, lots of other problems. I prayed for her, power of God hit her, she got healed. The ulcers completely disappeared, okay? Absolutely powerful. She hasn't taken her pain medication since. And there were well, lots of other issues I won't go into, but here's the deal. After I prayed for her, I asked her straight away, how do you feel? All the pain gone? She says, yes, all the pain's gone. I'm healed. 
And we're like, yeah, praise God. Hallelujah. Awesome. But then she asked me a surprising question. She says, what happens if it comes back tomorrow? Good question. What happens if, I come back, what if it comes back tomorrow? And I said, well, let me, let me ask you a question. What happens if somebody comes to your door, knocks on your door and you open it, and they ask you if they can take all of your stuff, steal your health, wealth, prosperity, and family? What do you tell them? She says, I tell them no. And I said, that's right. So when the devil comes back and tries to bring that pain and bring that affliction again, you have authority over the power of the devil to say, leave, get out. It's time to go. You wouldn't let... Let anybody take your stuff in the natural. You'd fight tooth and nail for that stuff. Yet we let the devil walk out with our stuff all the time. It's crazy. There was, there was, uh, I got two little puppies, Soda and Bear. Don't blame me for the names. They were named by my daughter, Charlize. Soda and Bear, like the animal bear, not like the drink, just in case you're confused. Because <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, Bear? All right. So, the girls, and they're like about so big. They're, you know, they're kind of medium-sized dogs, little medium kind of dogs, whatever. They're females. Well, anyway, Pastor Leanne and Jurgen have a new dog called Punky. And Punky is much smaller. It's like a little kind of chihuahua rat kind of dog. Um, and and uh, I thought it was a large rat, and I thought, oh, it's a dog. Um, Punky, beautiful dog. It got on great with my dogs. They're running around all day or whatever. But at the end of the day, there is soda and beer and they're gnawing on their bones and little Punky doesn't have a bone or anything. So Punky goes over and takes one of the dog's bones and walks off without the door. And both my dogs sit there and do nothing about it. I'm like, dogs, listen, the devourer has come and taken your stuff and you've done nothing about it. Uh-uh, not in my house. I go out and I get the bone and I bring it back. Defend your bone. But oh no, back comes, back comes Lucifer herself. Dog, a wolf clothed in dog's clothing. Takes the bone and walks out with it again. And I'm like, but you know, some people have like, well, they... Pastor Jürgen preached on, I think it was last week, a presumptive sovereign. They think that they are powerless, no matter what they pray and what they do, that they are powerless, that this is the way it's always going to be. And I believe that's the way my dogs were. They had just a messed up theology. I had to cast the devil out of those things. They were like, I bet you they were looking at each other, soda and beer, and they were like, oh, well, soda, there goes my bone. Oh, well, bye-bye bone. I guess it's God's will that, that uh, just punky walked off with my bone. Never going to get that bone back. That bone's gone. Punky just took off with my bone. Nothing I can do about it. Bye-bye bone. Must be God's will. Listen. Psalm 115 verse 16. Listen. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Luke 10 verse 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by shall any means hurt you. Who's been given the authority? Who does the trampling? Who does the stepping on? Who steps on the snakes and the scorpions? Does God do it? You do it. Because He's given you the authority to do it. He's given you the authority to take back your bone, people. Don't let the devil walk out with your stuff. 
you know, Charlize and Bella, the great sisters, they play a lot better than they used to. And, uh, you know, but for a long time, Charlize would just, and she still kind of does, takes things off Bella and calls it sharing. I say, Charlize, that's not sharing, that's taking from your sister. I'm like trying to teach Bella to fight back. Don't let your sister take your stuff. Bella's getting bigger now. I'm telling you, she's going to be just as big as Charlie soon because she eats her veggies and doesn't complain. And she's going to be able to take her stuff back. There's going to time going to be coming. I'm going to get up here and share that illustration. With, with, it's going to be called Bella Got Her Stuff Back. That's part two to this message, all right? It's a big difference between sharing and taking. James 4 verse 7 says, we should do that. It's a great one. Next year, Bella Got Her Stuff Back. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who was the devil fleeing from? From God? From you. I like that. Who said from me? I like that. From you. Exactly. From you. Absolutely powerful. So, and I mean, here's the deal. Kids get this. You know this if you're a parent because kids like being in charge. They like ordering around. I think God put it in their DNA. And as parents, we've got the responsibility to teach them that to be in authority, they've got to be under authority but they like bossing around. And if we let Charlize run the house, she would run the house. She would have candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, I tell you, she, you know, she'll quite often ask why. I'll go, you know, Charlize, you need to go to bed. And she go, why? And I go, because it's bedtime. Why? And I'm like, all right, because daddy said. And she goes, why? Because daddy's in charge. And she goes, oh, well, what am I in charge of? The puppies. You're in charge of the puppies. And she's like, so anytime I tell her she has to do something because daddy's in charge, she goes, yes, daddy, but remember, I'm in charge of the puppies. <laughs> Very important to note. Listen, hide and seek. She makes up the rules for hide and seek. You know why she makes up the rules for hide and seek? Because she stinks at it. I'm like, I hide in the same place six times in a row. She still can't find me. Sweetie, I'm still behind the bathroom door where I was the previous five times. I mean, you know, and then she'll tell me where to hide. Daddy, you hide here. I'm like, well, sweetie, if I, if you, if I, if I hide here, then you'll, you, Daddy, hide there. All right, I'm going to hide there. No, not there. Down beside the bed. I might hide, cramp beside the bed. And it's like she's counting. One, two, three. Oh, Bella, come and have a look at this. I'm like, sweetie, I'm still hiding. And then she comes and finds me. Daddy, I found you. And I'm like, yeah, you've, you found me because you told me where to look. You, you told me where to hide. I'm like, one day, Summer's not in the house and we're playing hide and seek. And Charlie goes, okay, Daddy, you, me, and Bella are going to hide. I'm like, well, who's going to look for us? Mummy, when she gets home. That's going to be a long wait, sweetie. A long wait. You know, I love it when she, when she not only hide and seek, it's invisibility. You know, because she doesn't hide somewhere, like in a closet. She'll hide next to the dresser. All right, Daddy, come and find me. And I walk in, and she stands there, and she thinks she's invisible, and I can't see her. So I have to play dumb and go, oh, where could she be? Where could she be? She loves to be in charge. Kids love to be in charge, and I love that about kids because they have this innate sense in them of who they're called to be 
that they're called to have dominion, called to have authority. We as parents are just meant to guide them. Let me give you some quick principles before our time is up here. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. And these are some principles for when you're in the midnight hour. I believe Paul gives some incredible principles here. And um, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is an incredible passage of Scripture here because it's telling us if we do the things in the first part of this verse, which I'm going to jump into about not worrying, about praying and and giving thanksgiving, that the peace of God will be a guardian on our hearts. Think about a guard, like an angel of the Lord called peace, or even God himself as peace, being a guardian of your heart. Only you can remove that guardian. While that guardian is guarding your mind and heart, your mind and heart will be at peace. But as soon as that guardian is dismissed through worry, through lack of prayer, through fear or unbelief, that guardian actually leaves your world. Just picture that. Every time you just lose your cool and you just, you know, you start complaining or start whining or whinging, that guardian will actually leave. Okay, if that guardian arrives because you're not worrying and because you're praying and because there's thankfulness and rejoicing on the inside of your heart, then the opposite of that is true, that when you're whining and complaining, that guardian actually leaves. So just picture that. Every time you're going through a trial, that guardian getting up and leaving because you just lost your peace. And now that peace that surpasses all understanding is now not surrounding you anymore. And therefore, because you don't have the peace that surpasses your own human understanding, you don't have the revelation of God of what he wants to do in that trial. So therefore, that understanding has also left you and you have a limited, short-sighted understanding. And therefore, you panic in your trial and you make things worse. Are you getting this this morning? So let me give you a couple of things on how to keep the guardian over your heart and your mind. You want to keep that guardian called peace number one is worry about nothing because it says do not be anxious about anything so in other words don't worry i'm going to show a quick a quick clip a quick 30 second clip from a famous movie back in the 80s i hear they're doing like a remake or another one of these just quickly watch that if you've got have you got this that ready to run have i given you enough heads up you do watch this quick three. you know it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment i blame myself so do i well, no sense worrying about it now why worry Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. Yep. Let's get ready. Switch me on. Why worry? They go, why worry? And then they turn it on and they step away. Faithful outworks as dead people. We, we've got all this Christian lingo, oh, I'll be all right, brother, but really in our darkest hours, do we follow through or do we step away like those two guys? Why worry? And then they get up as far as way they possibly can in an elevator that they can do. But why worry? Look, I saw this crazy wildlife sign and it said this. It says, do not allow your dog to chase, injure, or worry wildlife. Now, I understand the chasing and the injuring part, but how is a dog going to worry wildlife? I mean, is a dog going to run up to like a bird and go, hey, listen, you know, I see something on your beak. Um, it might be a tumor. I mean, how, how are you going to worry? Wi- oh, now the bird's going to worry. How are you going to worry wildlife? Listen, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. I've seen some other crazy signs. I, I won't go into them today. But worry is the dark room which negatives develop. You find that if you go into that dark room of worry, you're going to find negatives actually turn and start to develop in your world. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It just empties today of its strengths. 
Warriors just, I've heard warriors just like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. You gotta understand, worry will cripple you, it will paralyze you, and it will destroy you in your trial. Worry for me is spiritual short-sightedness. Now, I don't know if they use that terminology here. You go, oh, that guy was just short-sighted or that lady was just short-sighted. And, you know, they're referring to obviously people who are naturally short-sighted, but using it as a term to, to actually describe somebody who really doesn't see the full picture. They don't see the whole picture. They're making a silly mistake. And so they're short-sighted. And I, and I think that worry really is spiritual short-sightedness. We're not seeing the bigger picture. When, when Elisha was faced with all those armies, and Gehazi came out and he was like, you know what? He was freaking out. He says, don't worry, more is with us, more is with us than is with them because he looked and saw the angels of the Lord on the mountain behind them. In other words, he didn't have spiritual short-sightedness. He wasn't worried, but his servant Gehazi was. And so, you know, faith is the cure for, for short-sightedness. Faith sees provision. Worry sees lack. Faith sees possibilities. Worry only sees impossibilities. Faith sees the invisible. Worry only sees the visible. Faith connects with God and pulls down the resources of heaven where worry completely depends on the resources of man. It depends on your resources. When you worry, you are no longer accessing the resources of heaven. You've no longer got that peace that surpasses all understanding. You've no longer got that guardian anymore. When you worry, all you have in your arsenal of resources is yourself and you are relying on you because you're worrying and you're not casting your care upon the Lord like it says in the Bible because he cares for you so don't worry the word of God is food for faith if you want to build faith in your life the word of God is food for faith faith lives when it hears the word of God the word of God is faith food listen if you are hungry and you need something to feed your faith what is faith food Everybody say it. The Word of God. Well, like God, build my faith. You feed your faith. God's given everybody a measure of faith, the Bible says. That means we have the responsibility to feed our faith. And the Word of God is faith food. So when worry comes, listen. When worry comes, when worry stops by, when worry knocks on your door, you've got to tell worry that faith has already been. And you can't occupy both. Listen, the house guest that you entertain the most is the one that's going to stay. Everybody, anybody ever fed a stray cat? That stray cat will keep coming back because you're entertaining that stray cat. The, 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 if you entertain worry, worry is going to stay. If you entertain faith, faith is going to stay. When worry knocks on your door, you say, faith is already here. Sorry, see you later. Hasta la vista, baby. Number two. Pray about everything. We bring up that scripture again, Philippians chapter four. Be anxious about nothing, but in every situation, in every situation by prayer and petition. Ephesians 6 verse 13 to 14, I won't share the whole scripture for the sake of time, but it talks about taking up the whole armor of God. Listen, why do you need to take up the whole armor of God? Because you're in a battle. Whose armor is it? It's not a trick question. Whose armor is it? It's the whole armor of who wears it? Why? Because you've got a battle and the battle is prayer. But this is the incredible thing about prayer is that when you, you have to put on the armor because you need to prepare yourself for the battle. And, and there is a big difference between praying and praying through. There was a guy that I read about in history 
and there, he has a gravestone in Israel and everything. He's not listening to the Bible. His name's Honey. And I read a story about him, how he drew a circle around himself when there was a big drought. And he said, God, I'm not moving from this place. I'm not moving from the circle until rain comes. Everybody laughed and mocked at him. And then rain started to come. And it was just a drizzle. So he said, God, I'm not moving from the circle until there is more rain. And all of a sudden, it was a downpour. And he's like, God, too much. I'm not moving from the spot until you lessen the rain just a little bit. So it's just the perfect amount. And then the rain. And right before everybody's eyes, that happened. And that is listed. Now, it's not in the Bible. I don't know if it's exactly true, but it's in uh, some of the ancient writings that are there. But I think whether it's a true story or not, we need to get that kind of mentality where we are drawing a circle around and saying, God, I'm not moving from the circle. I'm not moving from this place until I get my breakthrough, until I get my answer. And here's the deal. Don't just pray, pray through. Pray, prayer is not to get you around your problems. It's to get you through your problems. When Jesus prayed, the Bible described two instances of Jesus praying. Does anybody want to pray like Jesus prayed? Anybody? Okay. These were the two instances. One, it describes him. He was praying so fiercely, he had sweat coming from his brow that were likened to great drops of blood. It wasn't drops of blood, but it likened it to drops of blood. The second time it records him praying that it was vehement cries to God who would save him. Vehement cries. When was the last time our prayer life could be described as something like that? Because that is what it means to pray through. I love Pastor David Chittick. I'm in the green room praying for this morning service, praying for all of you, and there I hear him praying. He's speaking faith. He's speaking breakthrough. There's passion in his voice. I can hear there's this faith that he believes that what he prays is going to come to pass. That's called praying through. Not just praying to God, but praying through is powerful. And for the sake of time, I'm going to jump right to the last point here, which is about praising Thank God in all things. We bring up that scripture again. It says prayer uh, and everything, pray and petition with thanksgiving. In other words, make sure you've got some thanksgiving with your prayer. And this is, and I'm gonna finish on this. This is the, the, the point that I really want you to get this morning. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. Be thankful. Bible says, counter all joy when you fall into various trials. Remember the last time you said, brother, I'm counting it all joy that we're in a trial. But that's what the Bible teaches. Psalm 2 verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. That's why you can count it all joy because the Bible says that you're seated in the heavenly places. And see, you hit seat, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Why can you laugh? Because you already know that you have the victory. You already know that you've won. You already know that you have the breakthrough. And you know, I love what Jesus said in his, his darkest time in John 12 verse 27 in the message translation. I think Pastor Brianna tweeted this and I'd never read it. I, th I think it was you who tweeted this. And I'd never read it in the message translation. It says this, it says, right now I am storm tossed. And what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No. This is why I came in the first place. Father, put your glory on display. When was the last time we prayed that when we were in a trial? Father, get me out of this? No, no, no. This is why I'm here. I'm an overcomer. Father, it's your time. Put your glory on display. Put your glory on display. I want everybody to close their eyes this morning. We're out of time. And uh, I'm preaching next week, so maybe I'll finish this up. Uh, I've got, I had a couple more points, but I just want to be respectful of time. It's, uh, it's 10.25, and I want to get you out of here at 10.30. I know those of you who have come for DNA. But uh, just close your eyes this morning, and uh, 
I first of all just want to pray for anybody here who needs to reconnect their life to God. It's just a very simple question. You're either with God or you're not with God. The Bible says, with God, all things are possible. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God, who does not have Jesus, does not have life. You either have life this morning or you are void of life. And I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for you if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made a faith commitment to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life. That's the first person that I wanna pray for. The second group of people I wanna pray for are those people that for some reason, something has disconnected you from that life-giving relationship with God. You feel that things are dead and dried up in your world. And this morning, you just, you're not giving your life to God again. What you're just making is you're, you're making a, a new faith commitment. You're saying, God, you know what? I just need to pray a prayer to invite you back into my world. We've just been strangers. I've been away from you. Something's not right. And I just wanna invite you back to take charge and lead me in the right way. So if you're in either of those categories, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you just wanna renew a faith commitment to God, I want you to raise your hand this morning. I wanna pray for you and believe that God is gonna do great things for you.